We're reading uh, Daniel 4, um, and um, let's begin. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. I was lying in my bed, and the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. It goes on to describe it, and then it picks up on the interpretation. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord, the king. You will be driven away from the people, from people, and will live with the wild animals, and it will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree which it's, with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, King, O King, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Mm. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign and over the kingdoms of men and gives, you, gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, when... When immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, he was driven away from the people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored uh, to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And... Um... I was looking out the window wondering what kind of precipitation we were going to have last night, you know. Um, looks like another school day. Um, we're going to be home tomorrow, another snow day. When I was a kid, I liked snow days. Now that I'm a parent, I like snow days. 
Um, to continue our sermon series in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, the last chapter we looked at, we saw a restless king, Nebuchadnezzar, still seeking to shore up his empire. And he did this by forcing uh, his people uh, in, I would describe, middle to upper management to bow and worship a 90-foot gold idol commissioned and funded by him. Three did not bow to that statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Israelite exiles and friends of Daniel, who upon refusing to bow were thrown into a fiery furnace and came out unharmed, protected and rescued by their God. King Nebuchadnezzar, as we look at the end of that last chapter, was growing to realize that when he conquered and took into exile Israel, God's people, that their all-powerful living God came with them. If restless is how we would describe the king in chapter 3, restful is the way we find him at the beginning of chapter 4. It's believed to have been about 30 years since the fiery furnace incident, and the king is older now, maybe 70 or 80, which would mean Daniel was about 50 years old. And the kingdom and this king had come a long way. Babylon was by far the most fortified, beautified, how do we say it, pimped out city in the ancient world. In fact, it still is one of the most glorious cities that people can remember have, that, that's, that ever existed. Not in its size only, but in its richness, in its depth, in its still historically limited edition kingdom way. It's never been duplicated. And you know, you can understand, right? Like my mama used to say, King Nebuchadnezzar was beginning to smell himself. He was beginning to feel himself. He was too restful. And one night in his restfulness, probably reclining on his royal down comforter, cooled by the peacock feathered fans of servants that stood as human air conditioners, King Nebuchadnezzar, like before, as expected, has a bad dream. This time, though, it wasn't this robotic looking thing. It was more naturalistic. He dreamed that he saw a big tree, the the biggest tree ever, whose height touched heaven and whose branched fruited canopy was enough for all the beasts of the land and all the birds of the air and all those who needed fruit in the land to come to eat, eat and rest and find shade and have a picnic under it. This tree was beautiful in and of itself, grown up strong and healthy and thus when you looked at this tree you understand it was respected and beneficial to all around it and under it and as king nebuchadnezzar was musing and dream about this beautiful tree the bible tells us that the dream turned on him 
is in this dream, a messenger comes down from heaven and orders that this beautiful tree be cut down and with it its tenants and dependents scattered to other places. The tree was cut to a stump and then banded or covered with, with bronze and brass to protect it from being ground up and uprooted. And then the dream changed midstream. You've had dreams like this where one moment you sort of are the car and then in the next dream cycle you're driving the car. Come on, I'm the only one who have crazy dreams. Maybe I need to stop eating cabbage before I go to bed or something. I don't know what it is, but you know how your dream can switch on you. Well, the dream switched on King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and at that point, the stump becomes a he, a him, who turns into a beast of sorts. Whose hair is so long it looks like feathers with long nails and like a cow. This beast is eating the grass of the field and runs wild throughout the night and thus is covered every day by the dew of heaven. And the messenger says this. This will happen seven times over. And then in verse 17, it says this. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. In other words, God said it. This dream is going to happen. That settles it. Get ready to see it. He knew. King Nebuchadnezzar knew when he woke, this was not a good news dream. And once again, he got restless. King Nebuchadnezzar goes through the ranks of dream interpreters once again. And and finally, the dream request gets to Daniel's desk. Remember, he's the highest one. He's in the corner office and the other guys can't solve it. And he comes to the king and the king calling him by his Babylonian name, Belshazzar, which is a combination of the names of the gods of Babylon. And Belshazzar, a.k.a. Daniel, gives the dream interpretation after much deliberation because as terrifying as it was for the king. Knowing what it meant terrified Daniel all the more. You can imagine. After some 30 plus years, these two folk, they grown old together. They know each other. They were, you know, somewhat opposed in the beginning. You know, Israelite taken in captivity. But this is his king. He sees him as his commander in chief. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar might be one party and Daniel another, but this 30 years creates a certain bipartisanship at this point. It takes 30 years to get it, can't get it in four. And he honestly feels sorry for what the dream means. He gets heavy over it. And then eventually tells him, King, you and your kingdom administration is the tree. And in all of its glory and grand functioning, God is going to cut you down. And you will become like a wild beast of the field. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to lose your mind. Not up in here, but out there in the field. You will be separated from this palace and, and all you built. You will not be able to enjoy and live in what you put together. You will be crazy. But, but... 
The stump left means that you can be restored by God if you give him props as the reason for your season, right? If you cry uncle or daddy to him, if he will let you go back to the way you were, if you just write your kingdom in as a sublease to God's kingdom ownership, God will be happy to put the franchise tag back on you. But until then, you are a free agent with issues that no one will touch. Get it? So king, act right. Act like it's true. That my God is God. Don't go buy a new ride and flash your bling. Go to Africa and feed the kids. Set up a nonprofit. Go read at the inner city school and maybe God will see that as repentance if it is. And not you, not, and not let you have to go through all of this mess. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says, for a year, seems to stay out the spotlight, right? He doesn't show up at the awards show with the latest supermodel on his arm. He doesn't hang out at courtside at the L.A. game with Jack Nicholas. No, he laid low for about a year. And then what we read happens. Is this not he's walking around and he says, is this not the great Babylon I have built? As the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. And then he went crazy. I mean, I like the phrase, while the words were still on his lips, the messenger came down and said, see, told you, caught you. And he went fool. He went Howard Hughes on us. Then the seven times over meant that according to most commentators, for seven years, he didn't wash or groom himself. He thought he was an animal. I mean, the proper psychological term I found out if we had a modern diagnosis is lycanthropy. Y'all remember the movie Rise of the Lycans? Remember that? Maybe y'all don't. I like the werewolf movies. But the term means to think you are a werewolf. Because it was first diagnosed in a time when people went howling fool when they were incited by the suggested legends. Anyway, one person called King Nebuchadnezzar's version of lycanthropy since he ate the grass of the field like an ox or cow. Boanthropy. It's just nutanthropy because he went nuts on us. I mean, what happened? God psyched his mind, right? God broke him. God humbled him. God drove him crazy. God crushed King Nebuchadnezzar for his glory. He had to bring King Nebuchadnezzar back or maybe take him for the first time to reality. And what is that reality? God, the God of the Bible, the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should get ultimate glory alone. That that we should recognize from this story that he brought us into this world and if necessary, he'll take you out. And me out and out of any place that that makes us believe we can be our own God as if we are in charge of our own destiny and the ultimate destiny of others. As if we have the right to act and even with audacity walk in rhythm with our chosen theme song, right? It's my prerogative. I can do what I want to do. It's my prerogative, right? But the story that goes with that song and artist, that's another lesson for another day. But you get the point here. 
God separated King Nebuchadnezzar from all the glory and power that he had graced and given to him. The kingdom and all the stuff and source and fuel behind all his flossing, his his position of flat of power and influence. I, I mean, look at it. He is in the field now. He is not able to stand on the 23 foot thick walls of his kingdom. He is no longer able to go to worship in one of his 53 temples. He is not able to walk and smell the flowers on the manufactured mountains of his seven wonders of the world making hanging garden of Babylon. He he doesn't have the language, the heart, the stuff to lead his people and get honor from them. He can no longer sit on the throne and rule and get self-glory. Why? Because those are no longer granted to him because God wants him to know that whenever he wrote, whatever he rode in, sat on, ordered around, floss with or bling with was his to give and take away for his glory. There's always a hard lesson I got to teach my boys. Maybe I'm too hard. When they fight over a Lego. Oh, I love it. Daddy, that's my Lego. I built this great Lego. And he's messing with it. And you know what happens? They take all the Legos. He's got all the good ones. That's why his thing looks good. You got to share. I'm not sharing. And what do I do? Take the Lego. Rebuilt and share together. It's kind of a hard lesson. I know. Doesn't happen a lot. But every now and then. Ooh, and they got to get. Well, these are my Legos, Daddy. I'm not sharing them. Oh, really? Look at this nice thing. That is nice. But it's time to let it go. No, this is mine. It's everybody's now. God pulls a Lego lesson with King Nebuchadnezzar. This pride that God seeks to crush for his glory in our lives can take many forms. Pride in our jobs, pride in our relationships, our positions, our abilities, our fame, our popularity, our brains, our scores, our family fortunes. Maybe it's your family name. Maybe it's your equity. Maybe it's your network of friends whose names you can drop. And some of us, like the tree in the dream, have grown so high in our pride, so in charge of and so self-righteous in our lives that we're so high that we can't believe or fully trust that there is a God, that there's a God above us because we're the highest thing. Ironically, some of us are a Christian tree, right? We're, we're, In our religiosity, we're bushy and we're thorny, right? We're a big Christian tree heaped in religiosity. We know the Bible and we've walked with God and have lived according to the Christian work ethic that in pride we think, look how God has blessed me because I am so good at it. And in that, I've seen people and I've experienced and done it myself. You refuse to get involved in the muck and mire and mud of people's lives because somehow we have forgotten we are but God bless dirt ourselves. Some of us are the helpful tree, right? 
We help and feed and care for others in a pride that says we are all and we are enough. You live like you can handle everybody and everything like a tree. We bear all the needs of everyone that comes to us. And somehow, strangely enough, we cloud out God and our self-existing good works like proud trees. We forget our need for him. What hit home for me, some of us are the see me tree, right? Looking in our self-conceited pride, you know, looking for an audience to, to amuse ourselves with. To, you always got to be the center of attention. You have to have somebody clap or cry for you. We're like the tree always in the middle of everything. Everything has to come back to us. Our roots are in everything, Right? Conversation always comes back to you. This is what God says. I will take you down a notch. And some of you have experienced it. And will experience it. Real things will fall apart in our lives. God will take real things that we're invested in and have our identity in and our pride in and it will fail. We will fail and be exposed and our lives will be torn apart by God for His glory. You may get fired. You may not get hired. You may not make the team. You may not get the grade. And get this, for no apparent reason, considering how good you are, you may fail others. That you're saying, I'm the tree, come to me, I can handle it all. You may fail others. You you may get thrown out and called out. Your kingdom and queendom will and may be taken apart by God. God let the stock drop. The credit limits max out. That woman or that man leave you. Your kids, man, they were so good in building your kingdom. You were proud the way you raised your kids, right? But they went crazy. And they've embarrassed you. You are now seen and called out as incompetent or You're just overworked or outmatched. And we say with scripture and feel and see with scripture what King Nebuchadnezzar says here in verse 34. His kingdom is an internal kingdom. Eternal, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say, what have you done? And this is good news. <laughs> How, Pastor Brown, we'll get to that. And sometimes it's good news because it's happier for others than the person going through it. Because, okay, once again, the humiliation of King Nebuchadnezzar is done in theater for God's people. 
Right? When you, when they read this book for their sense of oppression, having been taken over and ruled by a king and kingdom that is, you know, opposed to theirs, they can see, right? They see every day. Probably they see King Nebuchadnezzar riding by in his imperial limo, right? Driven by your cousin who he took in exile, right? You know that feeling? You got your cousin driving Miss Daisy. This time is King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Or you can see him every day fanned by your sister that he took in captivity years ago. You carried the bricks to put together that idol while he stood there like this. Look what I built, right? The walls he walked on and, and, and touted his glory. Yeah, your friend lost their life putting that thing together. And they now see and even celebrate in his humiliation. Now, don't get me wrong. This is somewhat scary, like Daniel expressed, because their leader is out. And that could mean in uncertain times. I mean, seven years. Imagine if the president was done for seven years. I mean, regardless of what side of the party you are, what you believe, it's a scary time. okay? but when he was cleared out of the way, get this now. Imagine the tree in his canopy canopy. When he was cleared out of the way, the oppressed could finally see and give glory to the real God because they could see who was really in, in control. And for those who feel and know the oppression of the mighty. The dominant of the dominant ruling class. For those who feel the demoralization and humiliation of the racist or the whistle of the misogynist or the overlook or non-glance of that rich person that walks by or the way you are ignored because you're not of that class and you don't have that last name or your money too young. Wait till it grows up to hang with us, right? You, you know the stare that they give you when you decide to eat there. And sad to say, when you decide to worship there too. And further, we know this real well now for those who exploit and take money and even bail out money wrongly and predatory land and they get yachts and country club memberships on it. And more intimately for us, those who are supposed to care for us. Our family, our moms, our dads, our sisters, our brothers, our spouses, our boyfriends and girlfriends who who for their own pride sell us short or sell us out, who use or control us to show off some parenting thing or prove something to their prideful selves or to build their own kingdom. And as sad as it can be, the oppressed are free to say, praise the Lord, give glory to God, because there is a just and holy and see all God over you and them running and ruling you and them. And every now and again, right? We praise God that the mighty fall because it is true that we live in a canopied world where, where all you can see is the trees. And it's easy to believe God is gone or he's forgotten and that only the unrighteous or the greedy or the jerks or the beautiful or the in charge or the take charge or the money people rule. And this says, no, I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar downturn says the God of the Bible is the number one hater of all the people who trample others in their pride. He rules, not them. That's why we like tabloids, man. Don't you like it? So-and-so got locked up. Really? Woohoo! They were dancing on stage the day before. Now they're in jail. Yes! I like it. 
They demand the day. They number one, two, three, four, five. Tomorrow, right? They wear an orange suit today. They ain't got the bling bling. It's something about it. You're like, yes. They don't rule. But here's the point. We are not overlooked by and won't be allowed to, in our pride, to overlook the one who matters most. God, for his glory, will, does, and has brought judgment and clarity to a very proud world. Whether you're on the top or on the bottom, he crushes the proud for his glory. But there is more good news here. I don't know if you recognize this. Have you ever read this story before? But King Nebuchadnezzar... (laughs) Safe to say, he was already way crazy before God made him act crazy. Okay? He was already a beast in heart before his mind and his body followed suit. See, King Nebuchadnezzar was already foolish enough to believe without qualification what he said when he said this in verse 30. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence? Maybe God forgot that about that dream, right? By my mighty power and the glory of my majesty. All right, y'all. This is what he believed to be true about himself. It's kind of corny looking at it. I'm the man. Looking around at yourself. I'm the man. Yes. Get into my Volvo. I'm the man. 95 Volvo station maker. I'm the man. Because it's got a nice system in there. You know? Don't, don't judge the car. The thing got a nice booming system in there. You know what I'm saying? You're the man. It's corny. But, and this is, and he didn't even add a nominal southern, I thank God, at the end. No, he thought he was the man, not the made the man to be a real man for humanity's good, for God's glory. No, he thought he was the stuff, the thing, the center, the tree without the sun. Right? But well, let me say it. That's crazy. That's even inhumane of yourself to exalt and think of yourself and live like a self-created everything and super person. Superman is a fantasy. If you go around thinking you're Superman, we call you crazy. And God's saying that must be fixed and can only be fixed by a God who is powerful and invested and concerned about us enough to enter and take apart and expose our lives and sober us. Pride. Human pride. Not the Jesse Jackson kind. You somebody, right? That's good stuff. But that Bobby Brown kind, right? And we do more to Bobby Brown kind, okay? Don't fool yourself. We think we are in charge. We live like that. And that kind of pride is a mental and heart condition. It isn't like canthropy. It's pride anthropy. And it's a spiritual disease that needs healing and knowing this King Nebuchadnezzar is part of, you know, it's interesting about this chapter. He is narrating this thing, right? In his State of the Union address, the man testifies. And this is what he said at the beginning. You have it in your bulletin. King Nebuchadnezzar to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world. Not, come on, let's worship a 90-foot statue. No, nope, not this time. Not, I'm great and awesome. But listen to what he says. 
may you prosper greatly. It is, get these words, my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. Listen to what he says here. He's saying, I was sick. I was messed up. I was screwed up in my pride. God made me insane and brought me back sound and whole and right thinking. God crushed me for my good. And we know that this is God's intention because in a dream it said this, that God would put a bronze and iron band and they used to put these things around the stumps to protect them so you wouldn't, the stump grinding man wouldn't come or the, the root man wouldn't come and dig up the roots. God wanted to save, not destroy King Nebuchadnezzar from his deceptive and damaged heart, which is the real beast here. And like with King Nebuchadnezzar, God wants to heal us from the ways in which we may have lost touch with reality. A reality that says I can't, I can, I can take care of myself and others in and of myself. The Lord alone is God and He alone has made you who you are and for His glory and His purpose and pleasure and God needs to heal us in that. I mean, some of us are going through and have gone through some devastating things in our lives. Some of us have been the mighty that have fallen and some of us have seen the mighty fall around us. And what you need to know in that is that God is not playing a sick cosmic game on you. He leaves a stump, not so people can laugh at you or joke at you or or condemn you. No, so we would not be completely lost as a full-blooming fool or a, or a uprooted, condemned nobody, but so that we can be in a place where God can rightly rebuild us. If you are here today, at the very least, God has left a stump. He may be offering you a chance, an opportunity to repent, to relent, to let go, to stop upholding your own world like the branches of a tree that has as its only strength God himself. And for the mighty around us who have been humbled and debased by the hand of God, we should pray that God would leave a stump. That they may be healed and put back in their right mind. That they, along with us, would be protected by God from the elements to be transformed rightly and wholly. You know what the gospel says? Exactly what this narrative dream teaches us. The New Testament says this. Jesus came into the world... Not to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. Which, for his people who would read this, okay, Israel, when they looked at the stump, if they were reading this rightly, they wouldn't just see King Nebuchadnezzar the stump. They would see themselves, Israel, as the stump. I mean, the, 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 the illustrations are, are, are throughout this Bible. And Israel was a tree. 
It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And then they rebelled against God in their own pride. And they too were cut down because of their pride for rejection of God. And for believers or unbelievers whose lives are but a stump right now in our feelings of loneliness and loss and despair and luring, God is not condemning or rejecting you. He may be seeking to fix you and redeem you. King Nebuchadnezzar celebrates this in the last verse. Now I... Let's start at verse 36. At the same time that my sanity is restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He, because of God's crushing work, became greater than before it. His people sought him out. He he is a servant of God in a position to glorify God and love and serve others. Let me say this, for himself and most of all for God's people, this is not the same king. In the same kingdom as the one that God cut down to a stump. This is a completely different person in king here. What's the point? Out of the stump of our condition, as those who have in our pride thought higher of ourselves, morally or materially, than we should have, out of the stump, of what and who once oppressed us. God has raised up out of the stump a new king, his king that will serve us and save us and feed us and rule over us in ways that we have tried and flossed over and gotten the big head over and suffered in. The Bible says that God sent his king Jesus to connect to our broken, humiliated condition and suffer. To, to, like King Nebuchadnezzar, lose all dignity as he hung on the cross. To, like an animal, for sacri- was sacrificed for our sin and he was covered by the dew of our diseased life. But this King Jesus looked up to heaven and in his humiliation won a way for the stump to be restored and redeemed through his rising. That was what, that was what was once a, a, a tree that wasn't so good, that out of a stump, that you and I, as Jesus rose, that we can be raised up out of the stump of our humiliating sin condition. And the Bible says that we would be connected and built together with him to know and be loved and kept and stand as right in heart and mind before a God who is in control, who with a crushing grace pulled and pulls our prideful world apart so that we can be touched, so that we can be healed, so that we can be loved 
so we can no longer live in the crazed, burden, false glory and weight of having to be our own king and queen so that we can know Jesus as our king. It is our stump before God that calls out for his king to rise up out of it. And I leave you these words. We sang this hymn today. Out of unrest and arrogant pride. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy blessed will to abide. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of myself to dwell in thy love. Out of despair into raptures above. Upward forever on wings like a dove. Jesus, I come to thee. Praise God. He's left a stump. But he's given a king to heal us. To raise us. To bring sanity to our hearts and our minds. God visits us with a crushing grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we think we need you. Lord, in your crushing grace, you've helped us to believe that we need you. Join yourself with our issues today. We're in a humble place. Our pride's been crushed in so many ways, it's hard to understand. Be the new king of our lives. Rise up in ways in which we failed. And point us to the God above who is in control and deserves all glory and honor. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.